Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. All right, here we go. Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I'm your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, have Spotify, and now on YouTube. Later on in the show, we're going to talk Yankees baseball with Andrew Kalanya, sprinkling some Mets at the end. But we're talking NBA finals here first and foremost. So if you're on the Apple Podcast app, enjoy this NBA talk. We'll get into some baseball talk later. If you're on YouTube, after you watch this one, go ahead and watch the other one on Subway Sports Talk's YouTube page. Thank you for listening. Let's talk about game one of the NBA Finals. Real quick, though, a word from DraftKings. Are you ready for the NBA champs to be crowned? Well, join the finals action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA bet and get $150 in free bets instantly. And i like to clarify, that doesn't mean you have to win any $5 bet on the NBA. You just have to place it and get 150 in free bets instantly. Looking to turn another small bet into a big payday during the NBA Finals? With DraftKings Same Game Parlay, you can do just that. Yeah, Steph Curry had a bunch of threes in the first quarter. He might not have six in the first quarter again, but you best believe this guy's pulling. I like Steph Curry's threes in the same game parlay. I think you got to go Jordan Poole over on the points and Warriors money line. Keep it simple. Those three, that's my pick for the same game parlay. And this NBA season, the customer placed a $5 same game parlay and won over five thousand dollars gonna need a couple more legs than my idea but create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win total threes made rebounds and boom you have a shot at an even bigger payout download the DraftKings sportsbook app now use promo code tbpm make any five dollar bet during the nba finals and get 150 dollars in free bets instantly that's promo code tbpn only at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. I mean, what a whirlwind of a game. When you think about the full stretch of all four of those quarters, it really came down to one final run, one stretch of the Boston Celtics playing a lot like the Golden State Warriors do at their peak to completely flip the script and turn this game around. It was 103-103 after the Derek White contested three over Steph Curry. And then from there on out, it became 117-103. to Warriors couldn't get anything. The Celtics' defense was stout, and their offense was absolutely reeling. There's obviously a ton of different things to get into with this game, but quickly on that front, I saw a lack of hesitation. And when I say that, I guess I should just say I saw a straight-up confidence about the entire team from the Boston Celtics. You think about Jason Tatum's box score there, 3-for-17, just 12 points. If it was the Warriors' big-time intention to slow down Jason Tatum, they did so, but at what cost? The 13 assists were absolutely huge for the Celtics tonight. Because, yes, of course, uh, White hit contested threes and Smart hit a contested shot or two. And Jalen Brown took over in a multitude of ways. But this came about 
because of Tatum's ability to pass out of the double team, to move the ball properly. And when he did not have his shot going to continue to find his teammates in spots for them to succeed. How do you combat a golden state warriors 19 or 45, 42% three point night, a game where Steph Curry went nuclear for six threes in the first quarter alone ended up with only seven, but all in all the team shot. Okay. From three, they shot over 40%. How do you combat that? If you're the Boston Celtics, it's relentlessness and never giving up on the defensive end and some damn good shooting on your own 21 of 41 from three. That's over 50% for the Celtics. And specifically, I want to point to uh, Al Horford and Derek White because those two guys are not true three-point shooters. Yes, Horford can do it. Yes, Derek White can do it. Horford's consistent. You don't expect him to take more than three or four, maybe five or six in a game. But he has that kind of set shot where it takes him a quick second. And what I saw out of Horford in that fourth quarter, when he hit the two big threes, even the fadeaway from the right corner, that was a two. He did not wait a second. He caught that ball with the intention of hitting daggers. And he did just that. Al Horford is not a guy we expect to catch the ball and without blinking, go up for the shot quick trigger. He's not. And every time he caught the ball in that fourth quarter, he was ready to let it fly. And that goes for confidence across the board. The same thing for Derek White. Derek White's been one of these guys who, you know, for two weeks in the regular season, he'll shoot 42% from three. He'll follow that up by three weeks of 27%. That's who he's been. So how do you master that in the playoffs and, and corral that to shoot five for eight on the biggest stage of your career? You do so by getting put in proper spots, by never getting discouraged to take those shots, and then when you see one go through, it can do a whole lot for the confidence. The ball movement for the Boston Celtics tonight, especially in that fourth quarter, reminded me so much of the Warriors. One guy makes his move inside. There's screens on the backside. They're flipping the ball out to the perimeter. They're swinging it around, and they're finding good shots, and they're passing up good shots for better shots. I don't want to say that this is going to be now the case for the rest of, this, uh, of the series because I don't think that's true. I'm not going to take away my prediction, which I didn't make public because I haven't done an episode in a minute here. My, my prediction was Warriors in seven. I'm going to stick with that. The, ser- the series is early. But the Celtics did a job tonight that has very seldom been done in the N- NBA Finals. I just saw on Center with Scott Van Pelt before, only three times, including this, time, this, uh, this game here, did game one go to the road team in the last 20 NBA Finals. It was the Spurs in 2013 who lost in seven to Miami, and it's the uh, 04 Pistons who beat the Lakers uh, when they beat them on the road in game one. That is not nothing. That is special. When you can now be eight and two on the road in the NBA playoffs and go into Golden State, a tested core led by a Steph Curry performance that literally rained down on you in the first half. And you just consistently come back, come back, come back. That is nothing to take lightly. Now, does that mean game two will be exactly like this? No. But the Warriors are known for going ahead in a third quarter and never looking back. And that's exactly how this game looked like until the midway point or give or take in the fourth quarter. 
I mean, I, I was recording the, the Yankees portion of the podcast during halftime, and then I, I finished the Yankees portion uh, going towards the end of the third quarter. I went back and watched it. Third quarter was as expected. Warriors took over. They had their 10-point lead. Then they maintained. They didn't quite put that dagger in where they went up 18. They went up 22. Because the Celtics were relentless. And if you think back all the way to, I don't know, halfway through the season when the Celtics turned it around and it wasn't just, uh, oh, they're on a little run. They're, they're a good team. It, when you started to realize the Celtics were better than just a good team and they were perhaps a true contender, no one expected it to, to maintain. And, and then it did. And not only that, they've gotten better and better and more comfortable in their own skin. And, and that falls on Jason Tatum. And that's why he gets credit in my eyes here, despite the three for 17 performance. Because as much as it is important for the best player on a team to carry that offensive load, it's just as important to keep your teammates involved and to know when and how to give it up. I would say that a 13 assist performance for Jason Tatum in game one of his NBA finals career is just as impressive as him dropping 30 with four assists. Because you expect him to hit shots. You know he will hit shots. He's had games in this postseason where he has had three for 17s, where he's had 10 points, 12 points in the playoffs this year, right? But this one was different. This one was well-rounded. This was one of those performances where you see the complete full package of an NBA superstar. So yeah, maybe if uh, the Warriors held on and that fourth quarter explosion doesn't quite take place for the Celtics, you look at this Jason Tatum game with disappointment. But when the shot's not falling and the shots aren't being found easy, right? Because there was tough shots that he wasn't making, the shots that he can make and will make. When that's not dropping, what are you going to do? You're going to just defer? You're going to just give it up to Derek White and Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown and say, hey, I ain't got it. You got to create. You got to do it yourself. It's not what he did. He took those double teams, made the right passes. He got into the lane when he can and made the right passes. Shots weren't there. What else was? Everything. And that's just impressive to me as scoring 30 in the NBA Finals when you don't have the shot. It's kind of like a pitcher, to use a cross-sport uh, cross reference here. right? How many times have you heard, oh, that pitcher didn't have his best stuff, but he battled? You know, his fastball wasn't sitting where it normally does. The curveball didn't normally, didn't break like it normally does. The command wasn't quite there, but he battled. He never gave up an at-bat. He never didn't trust his teammates behind him or next to him. That's what I saw from Tatum today. And yeah, if the outcome's different, we're going to sit here and say, oh, Tatum didn't show up. He couldn't score in the playoffs. The spotlight's on him. Granted, because they won, we're not going to say that. You're going to do what I'm doing and praise the man, but he's going to get left off this a little bit here. It's going to be about Al Horford and his experience and, and being the savvy vet that he is. It's going to be about Marcus Smart battling through an injury, not playing for a lot of the game, coming in, hitting big shots. It's going to be about Derek White post having a kid shooting the lights out a la Fred Van Vliet in 2019. It's going to be about the Jalen Brown takeover. It's going to be about Coach Ime Udoga. And Jason Tatum will get left to the side a bit. I'm telling you right now, the shots will fall for Jason Tatum. His stuff will come back. 
He will be painted 95 on the black at some point in game two and game three. He'll hit the contested threes, the turnarounds from the elbow. But now, with this other weapon in his arsenal of facilitating at the right moments, putting the ball in his teammates' hands in places to succeed, that's how they reach their peak. That's how you take the Warriors' famous third-quarter runs and shut it down in the fourth and keep it close, just close enough to strike back. I was awfully impressed. I was. I truly, truly was. So the Celtics, great game for them. They're feeling great. Staying in Golden State for game two, basically stealing home court advantage already. However, what does that mean? The Celtics lost games at home against the Bucs. They lost game at home against the Miami Heat. So it doesn't mean the Warriors can't go in game three and game four and steal one or two themselves. But obviously they're in a position of power now. What do they do to answer? My initial inclination is to go Warriors game two. Do I feel incredibly confident with the way this Boston Celtics team defended for four quarters? And when I say defended for four quarters, I mean really the fourth quarter, right? Because they didn't defend that well in the first quarter, especially the third quarter. On the Warriors front, though, what were some of the issues going in? Was Draymond Green going to be able to be aggressive and efficient offensively? He was not tonight. Is Klay Thompson going to get comfortable enough to be the knockdown guy? He looked like he was at certain points, but there's still a little bit missing from Klay Thompson. And then what I need to see is I need to see Jordan Poole unleashed. I think what Steve Kerr has to do is to draw some things in Jordan Poole's direction. You need to specifically give this guy a couple opportunities to succeed. Because then when you give him that, he can take it and run. And with Steph Curry's 34 points and a team shooting over 40% from three, that should be enough. But without a true number two punch that Klay Thompson's not giving, that Draymond Green isn't doing from the uh, assisting standpoint that he normally does, it has to be Jordan Poole. And I know you can say, hey, Andrew Wiggins, 20 points on 15 shots, that's pretty good. It is pretty good. But Andrew Wiggins' impact when he's only hitting two threes is not always the same as Andrew Wiggins' impact when he's hitting a bunch of jumpers. It's not the true number two punch that I'm talking about. It's more like a number two slash three good shove, right? Like It's good. You need Andrew Wiggins to get those dunks, to get those offensive rebounds, to, to get the ball inside and finish inside, right? But unless he's hitting a multitude of jumpers, I'm not going to ever look at Andrew Wiggins as the true number two punch to, to supplement Steph Curry's 34. I want to see that be Jordan Poole, a guy who's had a mixed bag of an NBA playoffs this far. He's had amazing games. He's had very quiet games, games where you don't know where he is, games where he's left his imprint everywhere. Seven shots in 25 minutes, that's not going to cut it. And I don't think it's a lack of aggression out of Jordan Poole, but he wasn't finding himself in the spots he likes to be. And I think one thing Steve Kerr can do is emphasize a little bit on getting him going. Say, hey, Jordan Poole, bro, we need you. We need a pool party. We need you to be the third splash, brother, because without you, we lose out on punch. Right? Just like... With Derek White and Al Horford, I mentioned before, the confidence, 
the zero seconds of hesitation to get up and let those shots fly. It comes from the overwhelming confidence from a coaching staff and teammates that even when you miss, keep taking it. And I don't know if that's the case for Jordan Poole that he's feeling the antithesis of that, but he can't be even remotely hesitant. He needs to be the electric player we saw all year, getting in the lane, not just falling in love with the jumper because he took seven shots, five of them were threes. So he's trying to get his jumpers, but what made him special and not just an off-the-bench, flashy microwave was his ability to finish inside this regular season, was his ability to be a playmaker as well. Talked about Jason Tatum not shooting the ball well, but getting his teammates involved incredibly well throughout the game. Jordan Poole had those highlights all year. Jordan Poole had those high assist games all year. He scored inside all year. So if Jordan Poole is going to be this dude where people are trying to say Curry's going to hand the baton off and they're going to run together for a little bit until Poole takes over, there's no such thing as seven shots in a playoff game for you anymore, Jordan Poole. It has to be more. And it falls on him to an extent, but it has to fall on the coaching staff and his teammates as well. He needs to be fully empowered to be himself. Be the guy who led them to great grounds throughout this regular season when Steph was hurt, when Draymond was hurt, when Klay Thompson was hurt. Who are we talking about? We were talking about Jordan Poole, man. He has it in him. He's got to let it fly. He's never been shy of a shot. He can't start now. That starts with him, and that starts with the coaching staff and teammates saying, yo, I don't care that you're one for five. Let it fly. You're not taking bad shots. You're taking makeable shots. Go make them. So going into game two, I think the Warriors come back with a good game plan. I think they play a solid game. I'm taking them in game two. I think this goes back to Boston 1-1. Celtics fans feel great about themselves. Warriors fans have a little momentum with a chance to even it back out in Boston. This is the makings of a good series now. You know, if the Warriors win by 25 here, we say, all right, it's game one. The Celtics are going to play better in game two. No, you know, it's not a series until someone loses at home. Guess what? It's a series. The Warriors lost at home. Now they got to go defend home court, and I need to see more out of pool. I need to see more out of Draymond. And yeah, you can argue Steph blew a load in the first quarter there, making six of his seven threes in that first quarter. Well, how often have we seen those nuclear quarters from people in the first or second where, oh my God, they got 20 at the half. They're going to get 40 tonight. When you're playing a team like the Boston Celtics with defenders like Smart, Tatum, Derek White, Al Horford, Grant Williams, Robert Williams, they don't let that happen over and over again. Conversation about Luka Doncic. Do you let him get 30 on his own? Or do you let and let the other guys uh, or let the other guys try to beat you, right? Like, do you, do you sell out to stop Luca and let Maxi Kleba and et cetera try to beat you? Argument to be had. Warriors handle it with ease, right? But on the Warriors front, do you sell out to stop Steph Curry? Do you not allow him to go for forty-four at the extent of? letting Clay and Poole and Draymond and Wiggins and Otto Porter, Bielitsa, whoever, try to beat you. 
it looks like in that second half, that's what the Celtics went for. Hey, Clay, you might get one game where you hit seven, eight, nine threes. I don't trust that you're going to do it. Draymond, you going to score, bro? You gonna you gonna finish inside? Cause we're 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 in the passing lanes, man. You got to go to the rim. You got to do something with the ball, not just pass it out. We're not letting that happen. Those are the things that transpired throughout Game One, and, and we're gonna see how the Warriors handle that going into Game Two. Is there utmost confidence for the others? Because right now it's Steph Curry and others, right? Draymond's not a scorer. He's he's a superstar in his own way. Offensively, it's Steph Curry and others right now. And unless Clay, Poole, Wiggins become true number twos, one Bs, this series may go Boston's way throughout. Now, I don't expect White and Horford and Smart to shoot like they did throughout the rest of the series. But it may be closer when, you know, Horford comes to earth and White comes to earth and then Tatum goes back up to 30 a night. You still need number two for Golden State. Because this game don't fall on Curry's shoulders, obviously, right? But he needs to help encourage. He needs to help inspire that free-spirited basketball the Warriors play. I know the turnovers become uh, an item where people talk about, uh, oh, they turn it over too much. They've always been like that. At their highest peak and their lowest low, they turn the ball over all the time. I'm not worried about that. Because usually the reason for their lackluster um, turnover numbers is because they're playing free and they're hitting big shots and they're letting it fly and making it count. Didn't happen tonight. No splash for the brothers. No punch for their number twos and number threes. Because right now it's an others series. Everybody else who's not Steph has to show up. Steph can score 34, as we just saw, and it might not be enough. I'm still going Warriors game two. I think they even it out. We have a series on our hands. I'm sticking with Warriors in seven. I'm not overreacting to an explosive, impressive, confident fourth quarter for the Boston Celtics. A lot more series to be played, and I'm here to watch it. Hopefully you are too. This has been Subway Sports Talk. My name is Pete Kennedy. Stay tuned on the podcast app for some baseball talk with Andrew Kalania talking Yankees, sprinkle the Mets at the end. And if you're on YouTube, you're right here. You're looking at me. Go click over to our other video, Talking Baseball with Andrew Kalania. Big-time Yankees talk and some Mets going into their West Coast trip. Great stuff, as always. Talk to you. All right, here we go. Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST. On Apple Podcasts, have Spotify, and now on YouTube. If you're watching us on YouTube, don't forget there's another video with a reaction to Game 1 of the NBA Finals. we got to talk some baseball. And if you're listening on the podcast, you may already heard the reaction to game one of the NBA finals. As we currently record, it is halftime. The Yankees just won a nearly, nearly perfect game, if you will, that turned into a bit of a nail biter. Joined with me is Andrew Kalanya, my designated hitter for the night. What's up, brother? How's it going? I'm ready to talk and break down like the, you know, most resilient and exciting New York team in, in maybe in all sports right now, the New York Rangers. Oh my goodness. It's uh, so exciting to, to watch them just come out and, and score six goals in the Eastern Conference Finals. And Tampa, you know, obviously they're back-to-back NH, uh, Stanley Cup champions, but uh, that was a great game one, great game seven, the last couple games. 
uh, you know, so so much resiliency coming back when they're down. I don't know what they're gonna do if they they go up 0-2, man. It's gonna be gonna be nuts. It's very excited. Big ding for you, the Rangers. I knew you would have to bring it up because you deserve it. You've been on this team all year, uh, unlike many other bandwagoners who are jumping on the Rangers uh, hype train into the playoffs, which I know you believe is a great thing. And you bring it all. You say, Hey, everybody come watch how great this team is. Come see how good I look. Everyone come see, but you get the point. So shout out to you. Shout out to the Rangers. I uh, watched the game last night. I was actually working at the fan and electric factory, just them answering every answer. That was kind of my sentiment. Obviously they pulled away in in that second period there, but uh, you know, they score early, super early. Lightning come right back. Then the Rangers answer the answer. So do the Lightning. And then they answer it again. Like it literally every time the Lightning came back in, Rangers shut it down. So shout out you, shout out Rangers. You've been on this all along, Drew. You've been trying to tell us. You've been trying to tell the people to watch the Rangers. They finally are. Check the receipts, man. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I made like a bold statement in uh, this podcast. I checked like, you know, like five, six months ago. And I said the Rangers are the, the New York team most likely to win a championship uh, in 2022. So uh, we're almost there, baby. We're all, we're this close. We're this close. Let's go. One day we'll have the listenership where we have enough people that somebody just knows exactly the episode and then they can find it. Cause I'll tell you what I'm not doing. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's there though. I know. I know. It's I know, buddy. There, but I don't know, I know how to find it. I don't, but I know it's there. <laughs> so shout out you also shout out you. We're here to talk Yankees. Let's get back on the track here to talk about the New York Yankees with the best record in baseball with now, is that three? Is that a sweep of the Angels? Or is that just two? I, I forget now with the rain out when it happened. Uh, I think they uh, I think they got one more tomorrow. They got one more, correct. So, yeah. good start. So, because it was a rain out and I just forgot. Yeah, yeah. and the double hunter. Yeah. So, the rain, uh, Yankees are doing what they got to do. They're winning games. Now with Giancarlo Stanton on the IL, Josh Donaldson on the IL, Chapman and Loisaga on the IL. A lot of people here in the greater New York area and beyond Andrew are talking about this New York Yankee team as the best team in baseball, obviously within New York in and of itself, the Mets fans like myself are extremely excited and proud of what they're doing. However, it's still behind the Yankees and how great they've been from a starting pitching unit to the ability to put runs on the board, even if it's always not uh, the most consistent throughout for the lineup. So my question to you is, it may not be ridiculous to say the Yankees have been the best team in baseball to this point, but do you believe they truly are the best team in baseball when you know the Mets are going to play that team in LA? That's pretty good. There's some teams that are char- starting to turn the page here in the AL East, like the Toronto Blue Jays. So, Drew, true or false, the Yankees are the best team in baseball. I, I, don't, I don't know if I can give you true or false, but I'd say a, a solid maybe. Um, <laughs> That's it's a very, very wishy-washy answer. I'd lean more true than false that they, so far, they've been the best team in baseball. But, um, you know, outside of my name getting slandered the last time uh, you and Alec were on here, like, I, I don't subscribe to the theory that just because a team is doing well, uh, you know, doesn't mean there's not holes and there's not worries on the roster. You can't just wipe, you know, wash your wipe your hand away and say, you know, oh, it's fine. It's fine. You know, when they haven't gotten, you know, any kind of offensive production from, you know, four positions from Gallo, from Hicks, 
from Connor Falefer from the catcher position. I mean, outside of Trevino's, uh, you know, crazy game that he had the other day, that which was which was awesome and surprising. It's nice, but you know, you 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 have four holes in the lineup every single night basically and it's you know you have matt carpenter leading off right now so it's it's not um it's not perfect it's not not even close to being perfect and if aaron judge isn't hitting and rizzo who you know he was the hottest hitter in all of baseball come you know in april turned the calendar over the last 120 plate appearance he's batting the buck 62 i mean he got the big hit tonight again but so you know the team is clutch and I will say that this this team is a lot better than I thought it was going to be. So I will eat crow on on that. You know, I know at the beginning of the season I was I was very negative. You know, maybe because of the off season. You know, maybe because of you know other factors. Um, but this team is a lot more complete. They're great on defense. You know, they've gotten the clutch hits. You saw it tonight. The pass, starting pitching and the relief, even with the injuries, uh, Clay Holmes is literally turned into the best probably the best relief pitcher in all of baseball right now. So a lot of things are going right, um, but you don't have to squint too hard to see um, things going, things going wrong. If injuries continue to mount, if judge goes in some kind of prolonged slump, you don't really have anybody else in the lineup. That's really there to, to kind of pick up the slack outside of, you know, DJ LeMay, who Glaber Torres is hitting the ball way better. He's already hit more home runs in 2022 than he has in all of 2021 which is fantastic. But again, there's not a whole lot of protection in the lineup, um, especially with Donaldson and Stanton injured at the moment. Great points all around. I think it's important to note the the true balance. And I, I mean, I asked you that question, true or false. Obviously mm-hmm. it's kind of a BS way to ask that. Cause I'm putting you, I'm putting you in a corner. I'm putting you on the spot, but it, it, you know, it feels right in the moment to mm-hmm. say it like that, because when you really hear the discourse of the Yankee fans out there on Twitter you know, in group chats, the people you see out. I know I was at my uh, my weekly softball game Tuesday night and Mets fans and Yankee fans chirping back at each other. And it, it was weird to me because both fan bases in a way, as I sat there and watched, were kind of criticizing the same thing. It's like, oh, well, you're banged up. You're, you're not going to maintain this. Well, you're banged up. You're not going to maintain this. And it's kind of the same concept right now. Now, granted, the Mets have their two best starting pitchers hurt and mostly their offense is healthy right now. The, the Yankees, on the other hand, have their 1B to in Giancarlo Stanton hurt offensively right now. They're just getting picked up by a few other folks. It, it's a tough thing for them to keep up, however. Uh, Miguel Andujar is another guy who comes to mind now who has been hitting the ball pretty well despite not walking once in over 30 FS at this point <laughs> in the season. That's okay. He's hitting the ball well. Um, so it feels to you, and I'll use the Mets from last year as an example, it doesn't feel to you like a fool's gold clutch, correct? Like, is that is no. that too far? Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a little too far. I mean, Miguel, it's not like you know, I mean, Matt Carpenter is just like a can be like a flash in the pan kind of. But Miguel and Duhar, you know, one a was runner up to Rookie of the Year, and you know, injuries and other circumstances, you know, kind of sucked him, you know, out of his playing <laughs> time the last couple of years. So right. yeah, yeah, so. I mean, I, I believe more in, in Duhar than than uh, than Carpenter for sure. But at the, at the same time, it's just like I, I think the clutchness and the, it feels special. I mean, the guys contributing left and right. Um, Judge got his first walk off hit this year, a walk off home run this year ever of his career. Um, just a, just a lot of, you know, you never feel like this team is out of it. 
So, you know, that's that's a really special vibe that I, that I get from the team. So it's it's encouraging, to say the least. And, you know, you need unexpected um, production from from guys to to go all the way. So I'll say I'll say that. But again, there's I feel like there's just too many holes in the lineup, even when things are going right to feel like that this is maybe not sustainable over 162 and that, you know, they do need to go address it in some way. And I don't know. I don't think you can get rid of Aaron Hicks. He still has three years left on his deal. Um, Joey Gallo, you know, he's a free agent at the end of the year. You know, we're at this point where he's been, you know, he's had almost over 400 plate appearances with the Yankees and he's, and he's not hit really at all. And, and he, he's hitting worse than he did last year. So uh, it's not great. So um, maybe they can upgrade maybe in a corner outfield spot. And I feel like, you know, maybe at this point Gallo is, you know, it's kind of the Sunny Gray situation where he's not a bad player. He's a very good player, but he just didn't mesh well in New York for whatever reason. He'd go out and have success somewhere else. And I feel like they could still probably get something for him at the deadline. I know AJ Preller of the Padres really likes, uh, was a big fan of Gallo drafted him back in the day. So uh, maybe there's a fit there, but um, they definitely need some kind of offensive upgrade. Um, you know, I feel like outfield is uh, probably the best spot to be able to do it. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where it's unfortunate that fans will basically attack the character of somebody mm-hmm. who can't succeed in New York or who isn't succeeding in New York. And it's like, all right, because Joey Gallo is playing, not playing well here in New York, he's soft. He can't handle it. He's this, he's that. It's like, yeah, I mean, he's had a lot of stretches like this before in his career. Now, granted, the power hasn't really come around like it normally does no matter what. So that's something to definitely keep an eye on, right? Like if he has four home runs at the end of July, all right, it's long past due to, to change something up here. But if he starts hitting home runs and he goes all of a sudden, you know, six home runs in, in, in 13 games, Let's, let's take a foot off the gas yeah. on the Gallo slander because it doesn't mean that he's soft. It doesn't mean that he can't play in New York. It, it's just early enough still to just hold on that glimmer, glimmer of hope. But I know Yankee fans right now listening to me are like, bro, shut up. He can't do it. Get him out of here. I don't want to watch his bad at-bats. And, and I get that as well, especially, mm-hmm. uh, for example, in the game on uh, Wednesday night where they beat the Angels game two. Gallo strikes out. He's taking daddy hacks uh, in a 0-1 count. And in the second, uh, the two-strike swing was still a big swing as well. And then he was followed by Anthony Rizzo, another lefty who took a big cack and then got two strikes on him and clearly shortened up and said, yo, we got the bases loaded. I am not striking out in the situation. I'm putting pressure on the defense somehow. And he hit a solid grounder up the middle and got a freaking two RBIs. And it, that those two at-bats being next to each other, makes it sting even more. So listen, I understand the frustration completely, but it's like, it's still this much left of space to see what happens with Gallo. If the home runs don't start swinging around. Um, We do have some really positive things to talk about, and that's going to be with the pitching staff and Nestor Cortez. But before we get into that, is there anyone uh, who you felt a certain way about early in the season that has completely changed you in a positive or negative way somebody who you had low hope for who's you know exceeding expectation or somebody who you trusted who you're now losing trust in uh i would say the i would say i would say jose trevino uh the catching um again he hasn't been great but he's been 
much better than expected. And he's taken uh, time away from Kyle Higashioka. And I think he's entrenched himself as the, as the starting catcher. He's a top two framer in uh, baseball. And he's been able to get some clutch hits. Maybe that those are BABIP uh, assisted hits, but he's been pretty clutch himself when he's been given the opportunity. So um, getting at least a little bit of offense from the catching position uh, has been has been a pleasant surprise uh, for me. On the on the negative side, Aaron Hicks has been uh, just absolutely dreadful. And I was a bit. I'm a big Aaron Hicks fan. You know, I tried to say I think he was one of the players that Alec and I picked to you know, being a key to the Yankees offense because he's a switch hitter. And, uh, man, he's not even playing great defense at the moment. Like, he's just so – he's taking his struggles out on offense and he's, he's talking about he's changing his approach every other at bat and he's taking it out into the field with him too, which is uh, this is really bad because, again, you still have three years left on, on the deal with him. So he's not really going anywhere. He still has a pretty long leash, so they're going to continue to run him out there, um, you know. But man, it's uh, it's it's so bad. I don't want to keep piling uh, piling on Hicks because I feel like all of Yankees Twitter already does that on like a on a nightly basis. Every time I see the lineup card come out, it's like and he's not in it. People are like like celebrating like Hicks is not in live, and there's like confetti coming down on like Twitter. It's crazy. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty tough for Hicks and Gallo nowadays. Yeah. And it's fair to say. And again, it turns into a character attack. That's just how fans are. If Alec were here, he'd tell me to shut up and say, stop pouring like cold water on fans being fans. I get it. I, I, I get fans are going to be intense, especially here in New York. They love their Yankees, their Mets, their Rangers, their Knicks, and we're going to crap all over people. Hicks has been a good player for the Yankees on numerous occasions, and then injuries derailed that. Now it seems like the injuries have just added up too much, and he's not the same athlete. It's not like like Gallo doesn't seem like he's got anything wrong with him other than being bad at baseball right now. Hicks <laughs> just doesn't seem like himself. And yeah. that's a different type of frustration because of the contract, because of expectation. Um, but the Gallo and Hicks hate is almost a little bit different. Like it's kind of different yeah. paths because of one guy's yeah. old and banged up. The other guy is supposed to be in his prime and, and a, a power hound. And, it's thing, just and, and like the thing is like Gallo's a 200 hitter anyway. So when he's batting 170, it's like he's, he's like five hits away from getting up to above 200 again. So it's he's not one like really good game away. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's, he's one three for four away from getting over 200 again. So it's not like he's that, you know, batting average wise, or even on base percentage wise, he's not that far from what he is. It's just the power that's missing. And if he's not hitting home runs, then you can't really live with the, you know, the substandard, batting average and on base if he's if he's hitting 40 dingers then you live you can live with that and the Yankees have lived with that in the past with you know the Luke Voits and you know Stanton when he when he first came over he wasn't really hitting it for that high of average so um if the homers aren't there and again like you said if it comes July uh middle of July and he's and he has less than like 10 home runs that's good that's a real problem that they that they definitely gonna have to address and they can't just say oh well, let's just hope he's good in the second half and, you know, goes on a tear because at that point you'd have a full year Joe Gallo and it's just, and if it didn't work, then, you know, it didn't work. But I think the making that type of a trade is, is something I think you should do and continue to keep doing going forward. Yeah. Uh, real quick, before we get to some pitching stuff, DJ Mayhew, uh, I'm looking right now, April 29th, he had a 309 batting average, then went on an 0 for 5 down to 288. And pretty slowly trickled down, had a good game here and there, but trickled down from that 288 
all the way down to 250 where he found himself just as recent as two days ago or three days ago now. Uh, but he had a big game today, and he is so incredibly important to this offense. Do you look at him as a guarantee to even out to the back of his baseball card? I know last year wasn't his best, but years prior on the Yankees were literally his best of a really good career. You already described how important it is to find someone else not named Judge or Stanton to carry a load here. Do you expect it to be DJ? And if so, like when's it going? When's it coming? No, well, yeah, I, he had uh, like a wrist injury, so I feel like that when that wrist injury happened, that's when he you know stopped really hitting. So he did the cornerstone shot, and he's starting to feel better. He's coming out of. I feel looks like the wrist is is doing better. So I, I would attribute his little mini slump there to to that. So as long as he's healthy, um, he's proven to be you know a, a, a spark at the top of the lineup and someone that that they they really desperately need. So as, again, as long as he's healthy, um, he'll be that guy, but um, health is always, you know, he's getting up these 34 years old. So, you know, it's that health is not a guarantee, you know, but the Yankees have done, you know, minus the, uh, the calf strain for, for Stan, which didn't even seem to be that major of a thing. feels like he's going to come off the aisle as soon as he's eligible. Um, you know, they've been relatively been able to keep guys, uh, at least their position players healthy. Now, uh, Chapman's been, you know, his shoulder and Greenlee lost him to Tommy John and Loiza has shoulder injury too. So pitchers, uh, don't seem to be holding up that well, but uh, at least the relief pitchers anyway, but, uh, the offense outside of Stan has been, you know, pretty healthy all, all around. Speaking of pitchers, Andrew, let's talk about the nasty man himself. <laughs> Looking at it, I don't know if this is updated. I think it is. Or maybe it's actually not updated. 17 ERA, nine starts, 53 innings, 61 Dang. strikeouts, only Dang. 12 walks. He lowered, he lowered his ERA to 1.50 today. Okay, with, so this uh, is not including today's no, start. including today's start against uh, Otani, which who Otani just can't play in Yankee Stadium. Just, you know, that's Another two one starts of those now. Soft guys. One of those soft guys, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a no, bust. But, uh, but Nestor, yeah. So baseball reference didn't have it updated yet. I kind of figured it was mm. that was incorrect there. So even better than the numbers that I just stated, Nest, mm. Nasty Nestor. I was going to call him Nestor or something else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nestor's been it. incredible. And I had a tweet today. I don't know if you saw it, but growing up playing baseball and travel ball and high school college ball, there's always that dude who you run into, who has the junk, and he has a weird arm angle. He mixes it up, and he doesn't throw as hard as you know, he's maybe the eighth hardest thrower in his on his staff in general, and he just shuts it down. You can't touch the off speed, and then he throws a freaking 89 fastball by you. Not that that's what Nestor throws, but I'm just talking generally. Yeah. And then everybody goes back to the uh, the dugout, and they go, oh, it's it's because he throws so slow. Oh, if he threw faster, I'd smoke this guy. Like, it's like a, such a frustrating thing for hitters when you face a kid who might be short, who might be overweight, and again, not talking about Nestor specifically, yeah. talking generally, and you don't hit him, and he shuts you down, and the junk just Fs you up. That That's Nestor, man. These MLB hitters got to be out here like, bro, this guy is carving us up. What are we supposed to do? You change the approach and become more aggressive. You don't touch it because he plays with you. If you sit back, he's going to pump the strike zone, and you're in bad, bad counts. It's really incredible, and I have to say, I made a pretty negative comment about Nestor Cortez in the preseason podcast. I don't know if you remember it. 
I feel bad even bringing it up because it was so wrong. I made a big joke about, oh, Yankee fans out here thinking Nestor Cortez is going to be the dude for them this year. Guess what? He's even more so the dude than anyone could have ever imagined, and all the hype he got was extremely warranted. So, Andrew, nasty Nestor, man. What the hell do you have to say about perhaps the Cy Young leading candidate at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. If uh, the season ended today, he's the Cy Young candidate. He should be starting the All-Star game for the American League. And it's just like this dude who just, you know, he was DFA'd by the Yankees twice, twice. And, you know, he came back and he's a resilient, resilient guy, uh, fun to be around. He, um, you know, whatever the whatever the Yankees uh, are feeding him information wise, but I think. They having a lot. They did this with Clay Holmes. They did this with a lot of their pitchers, where they're teaching him the this this uh, the slurve they're calling it, or just this, this whatever curveball or slider, whatever pitch they are teaching him. He took it. He took that information. He ran with it, and he's become the one of the best pitchers in the American League. And, and I will I will call him the Yankee Ace. Garrett Cole is the number two. Nessa Cortez is the Yankee Ace, and it's uh, it's exciting and. Um, you know, I, I would like to say, I would like to say that it's, it's going to last the whole year, but I, I would just go out and say, enjoy Nestor Cortez. Now what he is, you know, again, it, it seems, it seems sustainable the, you know, what the way he's pitching and the, you know, because the lack of stuff, it's not like he's overpowering guys. He's, you know, he's using deception. He's using, um, again, that slider, that sinker, that's, uh, you know, it's basically unhittable. So um, enjoy, enjoy what he's doing now. It, it seems sustainable, but if, you know, if it all blows up tomorrow, you know, we had a, a full year of Nestor Cortez being an above average, you know, major league pitcher. And, you know, that's just fun. It just makes the, makes the, you know, him alone makes this team more fun than, you know, all of last year. Last year was absolutely miserable slog watching the Yankees every day. And this, this year, this team plays with so much more energy. And I feel like that Nestor, Nestor has kind of been like the key to that. He's been the been the guy that people have looked to and said, this guy's fun. They've kind of fed off that energy. It's made the team more fun. So um, even those kind of intangible things, it's just he's been just so clutch for the Yankees and kind of irre- irreplaceable. Yeah, and I got to be honest, too. When it, it comes to regression for Nestor Cortez, I don't think it's a regression back to being a bad pitcher. Yeah. I think it comes back to being a, a good pitcher. Like, it's like a three-year-a, three-middle, yeah. three-year-a type of pitcher. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like a normal, successful pitcher who mm. is a top-to-middle rotation guy is, is maybe who he'll end up being at some point in time. Now, I'm not trying to sell him short on what he's doing right now and how it's going to end tomorrow. Uh, but based off of what you're watching, it doesn't seem fluky. right? It's not like he's just getting a bunch of – you know, line drives right at people all the time. Like he is keeping people completely off balance. And uh, as people say on Twitter, oh, there's more tape on him. More hitters will get up on him. He's just growing too. And he's adding more deception, more confidence to more pitches. And it truly is impressive. So when you hear about regression for Nestor, don't go to the bad place in your head where it's like, oh, damn, he's going to have a six ERA and be out of the rotation. I, I truly think this guy's here to stay. And I think that at worst, he ends up being that two, three guy. That was the realistic, hopeful expectation for him before the season. And now he's established his higher ceiling that who knows how long it could last. Yeah, it's crazy. Like uh, before the season started, I was, I was, you know, saying like the Yankees really need a number two starter. 
and, and they've gotten that in and more from Nestor and from Jameson Tyone, who again, uh, everyone who's uh, listening now almost threw a perfect game tonight. So, and he's been he's been almost as incredible as uh, as Nestor. You know, they tried to make him into like a high fastball type of pitcher, um, and that didn't really work last year. Uh, the middling results, and they, you know, he kind of adopted that same kind of sinker slider uh, approach. Um, that kind of Nestor has, and it's it's worked for been gangbusters for him too. So, um, you know, he seems to be evolving as well. And, he, and unfortunately, he's a, a free agent at the end of the year. So I hope that, uh, you know, maybe, you know, they can retain him or, you know, maybe the Yankees think that they've unlocked something. Uh, Matt Blake, you know, he was the, you know, pitching coordinator for Cleveland and they were able to develop all those aces back in the day. So maybe it's a, you know, a, a technique sort of a thing where they can just develop these guys and, you know, they can let Tyon walk and then, you know, create the next Tyon. But I, I really hope he stays. He's really likable. Again, he's really fun too. And uh, I hope he sticks around as well, uh, you know, this year and beyond. He seems to have what they call the bulldog mentality as well. Absolutely. Which is, which is great. And you're starting pitchers. Uh, you need it. You need that fight. I think we see it in Chris Bassett for the Mets where, I mean, I know he had a bad start recently, uh, but you know, typically that you're going to get a battle out of that guy mm. every single time. And uh, last thing here, Andrew, just to, can you litigate for me or mine and Alex slight interaction before there in the group chat where he wanted to blame Michael K for bringing up the perfect game. And I said, yeah. shut your mouth and you sound stupid. <laughs> I, I know I'm unpopular in that opinion, but I feel very strongly about it. So I know I'm here. Be, be unbiased here though. Who do you side with Alec or Pete? I, I think I think I, I'm a I'm an analytical guy, so I don't believe in yes. uh, I don't I don't believe in jinxes and bad juju. You know that doesn't that doesn't make any sense to me. Everyone, someone someone somewhere is talking about the the perfect game, like someone. just by Alex saying, "Hey, turn on the Yankee game right now." He's talking about the perfect game. You're jinxing it without j- fucking jinxing it. <laughs> so it. En- enough, it. enough with this, enough with this oh, nonsense. Thank God. And let me be clear here. As a guy who played baseball for a long time, I get not saying anything in the dugout. I get yeah. not going up to the pitcher and, and being like, hey, bro, you got a no-hitter. Like, I get that because that affects the mindset of somebody who has a direct impact on the game that mm-hmm. is perfect or is a no-hitter. Guys in the booth, bro. It's all the way up there. We're all the way over here. Just it because I moved out on my couch cushion doesn't mean that uh, that Jason Tyon gave up, gave up a hit, man. It doesn't. This doesn't make any sense. Like Jason Giambi can wear a thong and, you know, to try to break out of something. If I'm at home sitting on my couch wearing a thong because I think it's going to help the Yankees win, something wrong here, man. There's something <laughs> something not right. Uh, we got bigger problems if that's the case. <laughs> and I think uh, your son Jack will be very confused about what's going on there. Yeah. <laughs> Daddy, what's that? Daddy, why you have mom's underpants on? <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you. I, I hope you didn't just side with me. It doesn't sound like you did. Hope you didn't side with me because I'm here and Alex not, but uh, no, I, no. I appreciate that. Uh, all right. The Mets are still in the first inning. Is that correct? Uh, do I, I need to refresh so. that? Uh, they're, in, they're in the first game of their West Coast trip. Everyone's making a big deal about it. Some people playing doomsday a little bit, perhaps, Andrew. And this is the last thing we'll talk about. Um, mm. It's a third inning, by the way. Still 0-0. Zero, zero. Yep. Doomsday for the Mets, some want to say. Dodgers, the Padres, the Angels, who are on a slide right now. So that's actually looking like it could be a better series than we anticipated amongst some other West Coast teams in the near future. If the Mets should be worried, how worried should they be? I mean, they're playing, you know, 
they're playing the Dodgers for four games who just got swept by the Pirates. So, I mean, the Dodgers are kind of limping a little bit right now. So they, they seem pretty beatable at the moment. And the Padres are maybe the most over, still the most overrated team in, in all of baseball. So like, I'm not like super worried about it. And, you know, it, Taiwan Walker and Bassett and guys had picked up the slack and David Peterson pitched really well um, when he came back up now. So it's just like the next guy up. And the the thing that's helping the Mets out so much is they, they really have a, a circular lineup outside of the, the catcher position. Everyone seems to be hitting at the moment. Unfortunately, Dom Smith got demoted down to AAA because, you know, he just wasn't working out and hopefully he can figure it out and come back up and, and be that guy. But you know, Ken is hitting, Alonzo's hitting, Lindor's hitting, Nimmo, McNeil, everyone. It's a circular lineup, up and down. So, um, you know, offense is totally carrying out. Edwin Diaz has been nails, the trumpets. Everyone's getting on, on board with the trumpets and queens. And it's catchy as catchy as hell. I, I can't say I, I've watched the, the video of him running in with the black jersey on maybe a few times. So it's it's nice. It's nice. I'm not I'm not too worried. I'm not too worried about uh, the Mets at the moment. There you go. I mean, not that that's what I wanted to hear, but that is obviously what I wanted to hear. I do tend to agree for two reasons. Uh, a, they're luckily in a division that's struggling right now, right? Mm-hmm. So the fact that they have a 10-game lead going into this quote-unquote really tough stretch of their schedule, it gives them a true cushion. And the way they've played leads us to believe they can play with these teams, Right. So even if it's more of a split type of situation, they're probably not going to lose too much ground. And that's why when everyone's saying, oh, they're just beating bad teams. Thank God they are. You know what I mean? Because it, it, it could be easily seen for the Mets to lose two out of three against the Nationals and to get swept by the Phillies. And then they only have a three game lead on the East right now. Right. So I'm happy with where they're at right now. There's reason to believe they can hang with the bad boys from the West Coast. And I think they will. I think at minimum, it's an average road trip for them, which means they're going to stand pat in the NL East. Uh, but I think they yeah. could sneak up and, and just take three out of four from from the Dodgers. Why not? Like you said, that lineup well, has it's, been- it's not going to be it's not going to be different. It's going to be much different than last year, where that that basically that West Coast trip where they played like the Dodgers and Giants like fifteen times in like seventeen days or something like that, and it absolutely yeah. sunk their season. I don't I don't think they're you know. It's not going to happen this time. It's a different. It's a much different team. It's a much more confident team. Um, you know that team last year. They were. You know it was. They were fighting for their like their lives, and they just didn't have uh, the pieces to to do that. Didn't have the leadership to do that. So I think Buck Showalter has this team and you know all in the same direction. Um, and you know a good manager can can help you know help. Uh, weather those type of storms and those road trips and, you know, kind of just take it a game at a time. So um, the Mets are in a really good spot. You know, again, they're in, they're beating the teams who they're supposed to be. And I think the Yankees are doing the exact same thing. They beat Baltimore. They played like Baltimore like 15 times before they played like the Rays once. And they, you know, they split that series down the trap. So like, you know, you split the series with the Dodgers or even if you lose three out of four, that's really not that big of a deal. Um, you still have the Padres up and then you play the Brewers and, uh, I think like the Marlins and somebody else. So it's not like, it's not, it's not like it's a huge gauntlet. And again, yeah. they play the angels who've been struggling as well. So it's, you know, you, you talk, uh, how many games are there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, 10 games on this road trip. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you go five and five or 
you know, six and four or four and six. I don't, I don't think that's that much of a disaster to, to be completely honest with you. You've built that cushion up, um, you know, for a reason. So if you play 500 against the teams, against the better teams, you're, you'll be fine. So um, what does that say about them going forward? I mean, going against top NL, you know, teams, I, I don't know. You know, right. without the, without their without their without guys. their two aces without the without the Grom and Scherzer, then yeah. you know I think that's pretty good if you if you keep right. your head above water. And I think that's all that they have to do right now. And I think they're doing that, you know, and some. And it obviously matters how they lose, right? Like if they if they lose four out of uh, four out of I'm sorry, if they lose or if they go four and six yeah. and have a losing record over the next ten games, if in five of those six losses they get smoked, it's going to feel a lot different than if they fought and scored runs off of good pitchers and et cetera. So there's a lot that can happen. I'm feeling good about it. I've, there's a reason to feel frisky for us Mets fans, and I, I won't take any Yankee fans trying to pour cold water on us when we can throw cold water right back at you. It's super fun to have New York baseball being elite on both sides uh, of the boroughs here. So I'm thrilled to have it. Uh, Andrew, we went 14, now 15 minutes over the planned time of 20 this baseball segment but it was a good one any last words for uh, the baseball fans the rangers fans the marvel fans the star wars fans i don't know a lot of fans of ours that listen to many different things and watch many different things what do you got to say oh man it's a it's a great time to be alive man the the obi-wan kenobi series was, is fantastic uh you know multiverse of madness was was better than uh, better than i expected it to be um, you know, the Rangers are hot, the, the Yankees are hot, the Mets are hot, everything, everything's coming up Millhouse, my friend. That's a Simpsons reference for uh, for those that don't get it. It's, it's, it's a show from the 90s. It's um, the yellow cartoons. Um, so, yeah. So if you don't know what that is. I know. I know. I do know that. No, I'm talking about the the listener. And I know, I know you do, Pete. <laughs> yes, yes, of course, of course. So to you, Andrew. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Oh. And that's all we have for Subway Sports Talk. Some Yankees talk, some Mets talk. We'll be back with a longer Mets segment soon next week. And if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to click over to that NBA Finals Game One reaction that I'm going to do. And the, as the Warriors pulled away in that third quarter, still in reach here in the fourth for the Celtics to make it a close one. Uh, so I'll, I'll shut up now and let the game finish and come back and talk about it, which if you're on the podcast app, you already heard. So thanks for listening. Have a great day. We'll talk to you next week. See ya.